So welcome back to podcast at SDA. Uh, I'm David Bridell, and I have the great pleasure of welcoming a number of guests to the studio every week. Uh, before we get going, many thanks to Phil Allen and everyone in the sound uh, world at School of Dramatic Arts for helping to put this together. So this week, Lilak Dekel Avnery is our uh, esteemed guest. Lilak is a um, visitor from Israel and arrives here at School of Dramatic Arts at USC courtesy of an arrangement with the Israel Institute, to whom we are very grateful. To all you folks out there in Washington, D.C., thank you. Uh, Lilach, you've agreed to do this without really knowing what it is. Yeah, I like adventure. Okay, (laughs) let's go on a sound adventure together. Um, I'm going to talk to you about you, and we're going to see where that leads, okay? Okay. (laughs) Oh, I'm going to ask questions. Um, So you're, you're here now... Uh, because of your profile as a director and a, cre- and a theater creator. And we'll get to your project here um, later on in our conversation. But I kind of wanted to start by rewinding and going back to some of your early days uh, by asking this question, what led you to, to your life as a practitioner in the theater? Where did it start? Why did it happen? Well, actually, it was kind of... Uh mistake. Oh, good. It's a good beginning. <laughs> yeah. I was, um, before I came into practicing art, I was more into math and physics when I was um, in high school. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of the experiences that I had in the army actually mm-hmm. made me understand that I'm too sensitive for things that I imagine myself in. And then I met this woman who, who you know, she reads the future. Oh, yeah. It was just in a social party, just shaking hands. And okay. she shook my hands and just looked at it. And she, saw, she said, ooh, you need to do art. That's the only thing she said to me. Wow, this is very magical. Yeah. <laughs> And um, so in that time during the army, I realized that I think that I need to give it a try. Um, So my first degree actually was a combination of film, uh, music, art and theater. Mm -hmm. And I was sure that I will end up doing um, cinema. Mm -hmm. And after um, finishing my first degree, I moved to France for two years I wanted to study their cinema, but I was as uh, more three six hundred um, ninety three people. I was not accepted. <laughs> okay, there was only seven people, and when I came back to to Israel, I started working on television, and the person that um, was directing the show was a theater director. Uh-huh. And he uh, suggested, uh, he asked me if I want to join him now for another project after that in the theater. So I went to try it out, and then I felt the need to write. Mm-hmm. So I took some writing classes at the university and finished with my MFA in writing, direct, directing, and dramaturgy. So that was like... Um, <laughs> 
You said a lot of interesting things. <laughs> Can we go back to... So in Israel, you, you go into the army after high school, is that yeah. right? Before you go to university? Yes. Okay. So it's two years, is that is I did two and a half. Okay. I became an officer. Okay, okay. And are you able to talk about the things that you saw or felt that were yeah. headed you in a new direction? Yeah. Tell. Well, I wanted to leave the army. I didn't like it at all. But if you're a woman, you have two possibilities to leave it. Either um, you say you are, um, you have psychological problems okay. or um, you're sick with something. Yeah. And the, the third sort of solution a woman can find is getting married. Oh, yeah, sure. And my boyfriend back then didn't want to get married <laughs> for me to get out of the army. So I went to do officer's course. Right. Okay, like you say, what's the logic behind wanting to leave a place and then you sign another half a That's year. That's my question. Yeah, because I understood that if I'm going to stay, if I don't have any other choice, I better be on the side that give orders yeah. than the one that gets them. <laughs> oh, that's pretty savvy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so um, um, I finished a course that is my responsibility was I was in charge of the women mm-hmm. in the bases where mm-hmm. I was um And that it was like engaging with um, like problems at home, mm-hmm. um, regulations and laws, mm-hmm. and uh, education and culture. So um, I was in every base I was uh, being put. I was in charge in all those mm-hmm. subjects and I had assistance according to the size of the base where I was and we dealt with that. And you were based probably 20 years old, 21, something like this? You're 18. 18, yeah. Okay. So at the age of really? 18 and a half, like I was an officer in charge uh, in charge of uh, six small bases with six <laughs> assistants sort of dealing with all of that. What do, yeah. you, what do you think about that now, now you look back? I think it's shocking that you give uh, uh, young people at that age so much responsibility, mm-hmm. but it seems that some people are, it's not, it's not that we're being born like that, but it's the circumstances of life mm-hmm. that bring you to become a person who can naturally... Um, become a kind of a leader mm-hmm. in smaller uh, communities. Um, yeah, uh, I think it can be really dangerous if people become like drunk of power. Yeah, sure. And but it's on the other hand, it can be really um, it's the best school ever. Mm. for um, growing very, very fast. And um, for me, it was um, like experience that I couldn't had such a pressed experience mm-hmm. in such a short time. And but but um, developing qualities that actually probably I had yeah. in me. Yeah. Um, but this is like just talking about the experience that um, you have the possibility to grow there. We didn't talk anything about what the army is. Mm-hmm. doing mm-hmm. like I I the option for me to survive there was not thinking of what actually 
the army is doing. And luckily, uh, it's not really luckily because I made it happen. Um, I was supposed to go to one one base and I really li- didn't like it. And I had another friend that was to go to another base that she also didn't like it. So we just came visiting. Okay. And then we called the manager of the women force, uh, like the most high officers, and asked for a meeting. And I told her we want to change bases. Ah, uh-huh. And she told me, well, what? Why do you think that I will let you change bases? Okay, like this is the place that you were put. This is the army. You do what you are told. Uh-huh. So I told her, well, if I need to take care of the spirit of the women in my base and I'm going to be depressed, uh-huh. I don't think that I will make my job very well. So the day after, we changed bases. Okay. And in the bases that I was, it was a training base. Okay, so they were not fighting. They, was ju- they were just training. So mm-hmm. it's like a, a film. Mm-hmm. You feel like more, you know, like in, in, a, a in, a, yeah, in a movie. So, so that was, for me, um, the only way to, to survive it. Mm-hmm. And um, then after a year, I moved to another, another place. Um, and... Yeah, it's like um, when you, you when you take care of the soldiers. So for me, I had a mission, yeah. taking care of people. So so that was the place I was focusing mm. on. I, I'm saying this with a smile. I wonder whether some of our work as directors is a little bit similar in terms of you know organizing. Maybe, definitely. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely the same. <laughs> Completely the same. Like you make schedules, That's like in right. the army, yeah. you take care of the people. Yeah. You need to celebrate sometimes mm-hmm. the process that you are. Uh, you need you need to to make sure that uh, the people that with you they do develop in that process also. Right. Uh, you want the the um, sort of sort of the, it's also the audience, the people who watches mm-hmm. the thing that you are preparing them to ask questions mm-hmm. and to learn something new maybe mm-hmm. and and uh, uh, challenge challenge the way they behave mm-hmm. in life. So mm-hmm. it's completely the same. <laughs> it's just different materials. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, Good. So you you go through university. What was it? University of Tel Aviv. Or? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And then you wound up in the t- in the television show. But the director of that show was yeah was in the yeah. Th- okay. So then you moved. That helped to move you when you yeah. Okay. So why you know uh, actually a lot of actors who come here. I think I'm specifically thinking about actors are you know interested in both stage and screen. And you'll find some actors saying, "Oh, I really just want to have a career in film." Less actors, but some will say, "Oh, I want to have a career on stage." Uh, but it it suggests that there is obviously this kind of you know uh, family within which are these different disciplines. So why did the theater appeal to you more than television? I have to start with the fact that I never had um, question of how am I going to live like um, in. Mm. In the matter of earning money, mm-hmm. so if you take that out, mm-hmm, okay, mm-hmm. like, um, and you just uh, follow your heart, mm-hmm. I had um, 
much better experience in the theater of um, two things. First is the fact that the, the theater people are there for about like um, eight weeks, mm -hmm. okay, two months together, and they become like family, which is an amazing um, feeling. Um, it's very intense, mm -hmm. and you really get to know people, which is uh, a little bit different than in film, because although um, they work also very intense on films, it's normally much shorter, mm -hmm. and it is there's so much pressure in time, and everyone are so nervous, and like living in a country that the minute you open the door and you walk on the street, you feel the tension. Mm. You don't want to choose to be in a place that the minute you go into work, everyone are so stressed. And, and I think that the, the, um, the moment that I understood that uh, they're doing it too, too intense to, to my vision or the way they treat it is... I, I don't believe in that way. It was the moment when the pressure was so high. And there was one actor, one of the main actors, that he just turned the table off with everything that was on the table. And you can imagine the, the set designer, you know, getting crazy of all the things that his department just prepared, just went off. So the whole set went completely crazy. And instead of making an all like order with mm -hmm. what happened, they just fixed it and continue, mm. which this is just a, the symbol of what I felt over there. And um, it was not a feeling of, of creation. Mm. You're not really creating anything. It's, it's more, it becomes more like a product yeah, that, we need, that we need to finish. There's no time and we spend so much money. So... That experience, like I was working in in, in that series for um, almost a year, mm -hmm. and uh, half of it was parallel to working in a theater. Mm -hmm. Like I was not at home in that year, and and so so the personal feeling was much better in theater, and also the fact that you have more time for research in theater, and uh, you learn much more, and. Um, the, the engagement that you have with the audience in the performances and um, the way that actually theatre is, is more of an art. Mm -hmm. You know, there's so little series of films that are really pieces of art. Mm -hmm. Most of them are commercial product at the end. Yeah. And in theatre, it is, I thought, it's mm -hmm. much easier <laughs> To make art, and and I felt much more um, home. Did you ever have to? Oh, did anyone ever challenge you to choose between uh, directing or writing in the theater? They say you know you can only be one thing. So which one are you? Well, I started as a writer, uh -huh. and um, like my my final project at the university was actually a play that I wrote and directed. Mm -hmm. And after that, I wrote another play and I sent it to the ACO Festival. Mm -hmm. And um, they really liked the play. But the artistic director said that uh, I should not direct it mm. because, like, I'm 
I just finished the university and I don't have enough experience and someone else should direct it. Mm-hmm. And like I was looking for directors and there was only one person that I was willing to give him the text and he wrote, read it and he said to me, it's been directed already in <laughs> the piece. Okay. The only one who should do that, it's you. So I didn't uh, do that project in... Um, in the festival because I insisted of right. so that was like uh, either this or that but um, very fast after that I was proposed um, to direct uh, a text by, Sh- by Shai Agnon which is like a novel prize writer and the minute I started dealing with other people text I realized that Again, two things. It's always two, three things, like so many options. Mm. I realized that um, there's so many amazing texts that has been written that I would love to direct. Mm-hmm. And that um, because probably my texts are so different, to understand that I will um, share with you that um, while studying writing at the university, Uh, with most of my writing teachers who were who are still writers in Israel I I reached a dead end mm. where they said that they cannot teach me anymore because I'm not willing to accept what they want to teach me and I want don't want to do changes as they ask me to do so the only teacher that he um, was I think um, Um, brave enough to to show me some other stuff was Yoshua Sobol, who is also a, a writer, very sure. known uh, writer. Yeah. Um, so it was, I think it was something like 99, mm-hmm. okay? And he brought me Sarah Kane's mm-hmm. plays, and he said to me that no one knew about Sarah Kane back then in Israel, that he saw a play of hers in uh, in London and he thinks that is the similar, uh, the most like similar thing that he ever read to something that I write mm-hmm. and he believes that I will find her a better guide for writing than he can be. Mm-hmm. And he was right. Mm-hmm. So like... Uh, On the same day, that uh, the same moment that I read, it was, I think it was cleansed, the first one that I read. I was translating it already, and then I was asked to translate Sarah Kane plays, and they went reading, but only readings, because no one will do that in Israel. And then I directed Fedra's Love, so I think that she was much better teacher for me than... Than your actual teachers. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, it happens, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so tell me a little bit then about how how things evolve for you in your career, and especially do you do you exist in the mainstream of theatrical activity in Israel, or have you ever, or are you more an avant-garde? And if so, what does that look like in Israel? I, I would love you to help us to understand that. Okay. Um, The mainstream in Israel is more commercial theater that normally do more uh, realism, okay. but um, you can also do realism in different way. 
but it's more conventional, I would say, in mixture with like musicals. So mm -hmm. it like really wants to be, I think, like kind of a Broadway big mm -hmm. shows that would be the mainstream. Mm -hmm. um, are, are these commercial or state theaters or both? So they are state theater, yeah. but as when they ask me once <clears throat> for um, conference and the question was where did the commercial theater disappear, I told them that you swallowed it. <laughs> so that's my opinion about the big theaters. Okay. It's in them. So I, I think what they do mostly is... Um, commercial theater yeah there are sometimes um exceptions and some more experimental uh but when it goes to more experimental if we're talking in genre for example the experimental would be like more modern maybe post-modern but not post-dramatic theater mm -hmm. i think the the first post-dramatic theater ever ever been done in the big theaters is amsterdam mm -hmm. Um, but again, the question is, ah, there's also uh, a few years uh, before 448 Saikazes mm -hmm. was also on the same theater. It's Haifa Theater that did oh, the Haifa. same. Yeah. yeah. And you directed it also? No, 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 okay. no. <laughs> no, I, I am like, they see me as too dangerous, mm -hmm. meaning that the audience uh, will not be able to uh, either understand what's going on or either to connect mm -hmm. because they see me too Brecht mm -hmm. um, style. And I think that um, I would say that the ruling style in Israel is more melodrama <laughs> yeah. than Brecht. Yes. Okay, like... Um, but do you think that Brecht is seen as, a, as too uh, difficult? For the audience? Yeah. Yeah, it's not because it is difficult for no. us, because they think it's too yeah, difficult. Yes, yes. Okay. Because it's like too far away. Yeah. It's it's okay to have uh, Brecht very big plays. Sure. And, uh, and you put a lot of music mm. and, and you make it like um, more communicative. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They If they do something challenges, they will always say that the biggest challenge in this production was to make it communicative okay um, so it's completely different uh, way of, of thought than the way I see especially when we talked now of why I choose theater so I would not choose to stay in theater right. if it was not for that. commercial right. yeah um, if it was only for doing commercial so I better go to film because at least in cinema when it's a final cut it's a final cut sure. and it's going to be always as perfect as the director reached, and sure. you can't really control it on stage. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I think I think that to to make the difference and why it's like that for me. Well, look, like when I was uh, a kid, I was lucky enough to be taken to see a lot of theater. Dance, opera. I was a dancer for a lot of years, so I really like dance. And I didn't really like theater because I never believed it because I don't believe in what normally is being described as realism because this is not real, right? So why do you ask me to believe that this is 
real. So I was never, I never felt it was always so like like plastic and funny and and a waste of time for me theater. I think I I changed my mind only at the late really nineties, uh, uh, wherein Peter Brook came with a performance, "The Man Who Thought His mm-hmm. Hat His Wife Is a Hat," mm-hmm. to Israel Festival. And it was the first time that I saw a non-narrative performance uh, that um, it was more experienced than uh, a story. And you met um, characters without knowing where they come from, where they're going to. It just was a celebration of, of, of a circus uh, um, uh, spirit. Um, collaborating like dance and music and it was so vivid it was so alive and I think that only after that performance in that performance I realized that maybe I can one day mm. be interested in doing theater okay <laughs> until then like so so it's not that um I Um, decided or uh, I did some um, con- uh, uh, commercial theater or, or, or um, realistic theater and I changed I never felt engaged to that kind of, of language okay like um, in this article that I was just telling I'm reading about like saying that uh, uh, characters in realism, are always behaving the same way or that um, you can predict what will happen. For me, this is not realism. This is bad writing. And if I go on a theater and I can predict everything that's going to happen, for me, you know, I lose interest. I need to be surprised. I don't think that people in real life are predictable. I think that you know like uh, um, <coughs> the strongest moment in life are the one that who really surprised you and that you can make plans we always say right that we can make plans but God is mm. doing whatever he wants with our plans so how can one say that things are predictable the only thing that you can predict is the fact that you're gonna die you know like other than that you don't know really anything. Do you think that this is a, an error on the part of the person who wrote this article or you think it's an error on the part of the people who write realistic plays? I think there are some amazing realistic play, okay? Um, but the question is like what do you call realism? okay? Like for me, Chekhov is realism, but it's a very good realism, mm. okay? Like Ibsen is realism, but it's a very good realism. And it doesn't mean that the stage need to do to be, for example, realistic. No, sure. Okay? Or like this is what they are talking in this article. So like realism um, stage will look in a realistic way. Who like, wrote this article? Yeah, <laughs> I don't remember the <laughs> name now. Okay, okay but, but the, the thing is like you can't really imitate life mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so trying to be illustrative to a realistic text in my opinion is a mistake is mm-hmm. not going with the um, the the I would say like the symphony okay that the 
writer wrote to you, okay, is like composing something, like ruining what, if you don't create um, um, like polyphonia sometimes, harmony, polyphonia, you know, like if you don't play with, with, with the music that the text uh, propose you, so why did you do that? Mm. So, so for me, it's not like, why do you choose to go to do or, or, or to direct those texts and those um, so challenging? Because this is like what I feel interesting. And, and, and this is like things that I read them and I feel alive. And I want to share that experience with the artists that uh, want to join me and the audience that will come to see it. it it's not, it's not uh, a logical. It's not, it's not that I decided that this is what I'm going to do. It's, it's from the minute I was born, what I liked or what, where I felt home. Mm. It's, um, for me, it's most natural. It's not that I would not like to do Chekhov, for example, mm-hmm. or I would love to do Chekhov, but in my way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll see whether that yeah. happens. So can you give us one example of a production that you uh, created which was particularly uh, memorable for you? Mm, all of them. Uh... <laughs> well, but, uh, I just want to ask for one example. <laughs> um, there's... Uh, um, two, three, that pops into my mind. I say a sentence and you'll choose. Okay, good. Okay, one is Macbeth where I cut cut off like half of the play. Okay. Uh, the second is um, the production I did in Varsha, uh, which is a black comedy about the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. And uh, the third one is Yon Fosser, someone's going to come. What do you choose? <laughs> you have to choose. <laughs> You're just getting me back for... Okay, let's do... Let's start with the black comedy about the Holocaust. Okay, so... Um, I arrived to Varsha with another play uh, by Dialor, which is a German writer, a contemporary German writer. It was already... Um, a celebration of life because uh, since my grandma's family uh, was sent to Auschwitz, I never went to Poland. And so coming to Poland as a theater director of a German text with an Israeli group to the main uh, um, theater, like in Dramatichny Theater, was already a big thing for me. Mm-hmm. I couldn't imagine that I would fall in love with the people there so badly. And it was so mutual that they didn't want to let us go. So just they immediately invited us to create something for the theater. Oh, wow. And uh, they proposed me, uh, they gave me a um, story to read of Sylvia Chutnik. Sylvia Chutnik, uh, she's a young Polish writer mm-hmm. that is writing in... Um, like a stream of conscience mm-hmm. uh, way. And uh, the story was called uh, Muranu. And it was um, about um, Polish grandma mm-hmm. 
that live in the Muranov area. Muranov area is where the Jews ghetto was. Mm-hmm. So this is like the Jewish area. In Warsaw? Yes. And uh, so this grandma, she lives there, and she hears voices from her apartment, like a cry of a, ba- of a small child crying, Muanu, 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 which actually they say it's real... I had like my oh, my yeah. yeah my production assistant she used to live in Mo- in Moana and she told me she heard that noise and she left okay, okay? again it's really funny but why do they hear those yeah. voices because the uh, neighborhood was built after the war and from the material that war on you know the surface mm. and on the surface there were a lot of bones yeah sure so they said that the walls are being built with bones okay. so like it's it's um, horror a, a bit of a horror story so and this grandma she asked her grandchild which is the third generation right to to look for it to understand where the voice is coming from but the third generation like the third generation which is actually me I'm mm. the third generation. I don't want to hear about it anymore, you know, mm-hmm. like they had it, okay, mm-hmm. like their parents suffered enough mm-hmm. and and okay, we can pass on, you know, life continues. Uh, there's another other wars around the world, for example. So she gets so mad on on them, so she she decided to cook them and uh, make uh, out of the matzot, yeah. which is the uh, Jewish bread, yeah. uh, as a compensation for uh, the Jewish community. Okay. So that's the lineup of this story. <laughs> okay, so actually, obviously, I really loved it. Yeah. Okay. It was the first time I touched something which was comic. Uh-huh. Because when tragic and comic mixed I can understand yes. you know I, I cannot for me it's hard to relate to regular just comedies right. I have to have a really black thing behind it in order so so um uh, she uh, I took the stories and actually it was not a play it was a story and created out out of it a kind of a play I decided uh who's gonna speak the grandma mm-hmm. and there was voices of of their grandchildren and so I It was not play and there were a lot of storytelling already in it and um, the first stage was three weeks of workshop with young actors at the theater and the the biggest challenge for me was how to create a performance where the audience would start laughing so hard move to really getting nervous and And finish crying mm-hmm. that was my mission okay and um, the day that the, the uh, performance premiered I didn't watch the stage mm-hmm. I watched the audience oh, yeah, sure. I even I, I thought they're gonna throw tomatoes mm-hmm. on us because being like when I told uh, uh, what I told Sylvia is actually that I I understand why the theater proposed me this text because no Polish director will ever do oh, that yeah, sure. because he brings all the anti-Semitism mm-hmm. of the Polish out mm-hmm. but I have the right to do mm-hmm. that right mm-hmm. okay so I um, after laughing you felt like uh, the tension <laughs> in the audience that you know if you just put a light in it mm-hmm. that's gonna the play is gonna be on fire. 
and and at the end yeah I know I used kitsch in purpose okay like normally I don't use kitsch but that was the first performance since then I do that sometimes God I really like it um, but it, but the audience was like you know crying his oh, yeah. self like to death and <laughs> uh, then we brought the performance to Israel mm-hmm. um, and we actually we did a second stage after it was so successful they decided they want to do a bigger production out of it and Sylvia uh, continue writing a little bit according to things that I asked her to and it became like really a horrifying story oh. a really horrifying much hardcore than the first one and then I got like um older actors like the the grandchildren were actors at the age of 60 okay um the grandma was an Israeli actress um so like I played with the ages mm-hmm. and uh, when we came to Israel to perform with that performance I was really uh worried because I I, I I was afraid that the audience will feel that they can now um, feel better with themselves as if the Polish um, admit now what they do and and that the blame will be okay. stronger okay. but actually um, we had I think we had like four performances I don't remember and it most of the audience was like second generation uh-huh. some of the third generation which is already even harder uh-huh. and um, they when the performance ended they were queuing to get into the actors and to thank them oh, for wow. coming yeah so so again it was we didn't even say now until now a word about aesthetics of the performance because first the When, when we talk about the content, so it's not only the subject, it's the way the subject is being presented that was so interesting for me. Um, I never read uh, that kind of point of view about the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. And I'm, one can say that I'm pretty expert about mm-hmm. the Holocaust. I'm pretty obsessed about that subject. And um, so, so already the form of the text was... really tempting for me to to use and the freedom that I got the to get into the dramaturgical work that I create actually from the stories mm-hmm. and visually um, again you know that in in Varsha they're not afraid from the audience okay they they believe that the audience is really intelligent mm-hmm. and uh, he can catch gaps mm-hmm. And that you not don't need to be illustrative in order for them to understand. So I had a lot of liberation. We used a lot of videos in that performance, uh, live videos and prepared videos. And um, the, the, the actors um, was some of them were more open, some of them were... Um, More repertoire theater yeah. like in Israel so it took them more time to get open to the idea but at the end it was a very um, strong um, experience um, sadly the director was uh, fired after our production because the right wing went up oh, yeah. and they did changes so all the repertoire, 
was cancelled, so the performance couldn't continue mm. uh, to perform. But the performances that we did have in Varsha and in Israel were great, so it's a great experience for me. So I'm thinking about this uh, uh, content that was specific to this play, but I think it's also somehow deeply connected to Amsterdam. Yeah. And then I think about the aesthetic form that you are so interested in, which you are now bringing to, uh, to our students here. And I wonder, uh, what is that like for you to, to be a, visit, a visitor in an institution and in a country which may or may not have a relationship either with the content or the form that you are proposing? Uh, is it difficult? Is it easy? Is it fun? Is it a nightmare? <laughs> How is it to bring this kind of work to such a, a place that is so foreign? It's like asking a dreamer. Um, well, there is a place like it seems like a desert now. Mm. No one, not many people have been there. Uh, do you feel like going and exploring <laughs> the situation? So yeah, for sure. You know, uh, wow, <laughs> let's do that. It's much more interesting than being in a place that they've seen everything yeah, sure. and they know everything. And uh, it's so hard to make them feel anything anymore. And you have to go more and more extreme in order for mm. people to, to feel anything. Mm -hmm. So um, I was excited. Mm -hmm. And uh, especially because I have to admit that I'm not, too fond of the American theater mm -hmm. the way I know it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I've been... Well, a the commercial theater, right? Yeah, yeah. I've been a couple of mm -hmm. times mm -hmm. in, in New York to, to smaller production, more okay. alternative productions. And there's only one moment from one of production, of the production that I remember, which was very strong to me. I would tell you, to, like, um, it was something about... Uh, two actors that, um, um, like the the actors played actors mm -hmm. that sitting in their house, bo bored with no jobs to do, and asking themselves maybe they will write something. And then there's a book falling from the ceiling to the floor, mm -hmm. and it is the story of Will Hunting. Oh yeah. And <laughs> so it was a performance about that. But I remember just a moment that, well, when they were wondering what to do and what to write, and then this book falling from the ceiling as a striking moment. You like that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the thing that I remember from the American theater. Okay, yeah. okay. And uh, uh, well, you do have a few writers that uh, um, uh, I do like, uh, which I think that Tennessee Williams is is one of my favorites uh, on that generation. Um, and David Mamet, it's like two figures that I really uh, had a lot of influence in my life. I really like um, mm -hmm. what they did mm -hmm. and uh, still doing sometimes. Mm -hmm. And... Um, so it was curious to see how it will go. Yeah. I was um, very curious before the auditions mm -hmm. to, to figure out. Also, it's the earliest age I ever directed, uh -huh. right? Because, like, even if I did some uh, um, in uh, universities or school of acting, they're always after older. the army, so yeah, sure. they are a little bit older. 
Uh, so like everyone also told me they're very young. They're very mm-hmm. young. You have to remember that they're very young. Mm. Um, but um, I was I was um, I think uh, impressed by the variety yeah. of of uh, the students, the the so different backgrounds mm-hmm. that they have, and the um, excitement that I've seen in their eyes to do something different. So first thing in the audition it was the thing that that was the thing that I noticed mm. and since I was privileged to get what I asked for doing in the audition which was like kind of a workshop mm-hmm. of two hours mm-hmm. with the actors because I need to know a little bit their personalities mm-hmm. because it's a very strong material with what I work yeah Is, is if I replace an actor in one of my performances, he cannot jump right. to the role. Right. We need to adjust right. to his personality. So it's really important, the personality of the person that we're mm-hmm. gathering together. And um, so uh, seeing this huge uh, differences in, in the, the actors. And I was lucky to get... incredible cast mm. of um, so different characters and so rich in the background and and experience and personality although they're so young mm. and they're so um, kamikaza kind of like they will do whatever I want okay <laughs> like just ask us and we're right. there right. which is uh, uh, amazing and um, so yeah so so um, what about the material of the play itself do you have okay, to do a yeah. lot of educating in that respect well I was also surprised here because like uh, already in the first week of that we worked so um, I practiced a kind of performative questionnaire that I do with the actors and and I realized that all of them know about that period of time all of them read and seen movies mm. about it um, so like it, I didn't feel that I had to um, educate them like historical wise uh, the funniest was another question that, that I asked them that um, um, what is the image that you have of Amsterdam today that was different because most of them haven't been mm. in the Netherlands mm. so like in in you know if you ask an Israeli after the army there's almost no one who hasn't been in Amsterdam uh-huh. you know? because not because of his past no because it's the past but because of the present yeah okay so but but here like so so it was that which was a little bit um but the the play teach you mm. a lot of information mm. about uh Amsterdam which that we talked even more than the subject of uh the Holocaust which also I think the text also teach you yeah. a little bit about that what happened back then and also the absurd situation that the people in the Netherlands live today because mm. the past never pass really mm. it's always there to remind him that uh, remind us what happened mm. so um, 
I think the only adjustment that I really did is that I added a kind of prologue okay. to the text. Okay. Um, it's, it's actually the first time I did something like that, but I felt it is needed even before coming here, mm. which... Well, should I say it because like it's gonna ruin the surprise? No, we, <laughs> we don't want to ruin the surprise. So, so like if the, for the people who are gonna come to the performance, yeah. the, the prologue scene, I use a soundtrack from a European film. Okay, and the actors are doing uh, action without text. Yeah. So the only text that we hear is the the prologue from this European film which I think that brings you from the States to Europa. I see, I see. So that's the only thing, for example, I would not do if I would have directed it in Europe. Mm. I would probably maybe do that also in Israel, I don't know, mm. but the, it, I was inspired by the fact that I'm going here and yeah. how do I make American move fast? Yeah to Europe without creating a European stage. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. With shops and buses. Yeah, we, we, and, we, and without, you know, like even video, because we're, we are going to do video, okay? Uh -huh. But you're not going to see Amsterdam no, video, no, no. Yeah, you right. know, like, or anything connected to Amsterdam. Maybe a very, very far hint. <laughs> uh, but, uh, um, so... Um, yeah, I think that if you don't know anything about the Holocaust, there's nothing to do with my performance. You need to know. Yeah. You know, just go read a little bit. Right, right, right. <laughs> it's something that humanity needs to... It's really important, in my opinion, to know the past in order to have a better future and and to be... to. Uh, and learn from your mistakes or from the humanity mm. uh, mistakes even in the present. Yeah. So, um, and, and people who knows, probably most of them will know a little bit more unless they're experts and know everything and they just can't enjoy the different form and the proposal that the text uh, proposed. For my, for my taste, uh, I, always, I always get excited by any performance or play in the theater that uh, carries with it some kind of a warning maybe from the past potentially or not you know yeah but i that that to from again it's very subjective but you know some people say well the whole point of the theater is entertainment and celebration that's a commercial theater i do agree with the word celebration but i i'm most interested in idea of being warned about something bad <laughs> yeah it's like it's very like it's the prophets yeah it's exactly. like we don't have prophets exactly. anymore and so so i think i do think that the artists are mm. the prophets yeah in, in our true. society yeah. and if someone has you know an inner sightseeing yeah you want to be there you yeah. want to you want to uh, feel the hints yes. and, and and to see how you can also contribute to, yeah. to something to change mm -hmm. Uh, so I, I definitely agree with you. And also, yeah, I, 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 entertainment for me, if it, I didn't learn anything from it, it will not entertain me. Mm, no, I understand. Like, like I feel like I, I, I want to learn from everything mm. that I'm doing. Mm. So um, 
I don't know, if I don't want to do anything, so I go, I swim, you know, mm. swim, and then you go into this meditation mm-hmm. of, of quiet, but, but when you want to, to just come down a little bit sometimes, not to think about anything, but in daily life, it is, yeah, you want to be challenged. If you're not, you know, we're not challenged, we cannot develop. Right. Can you teach someone to be curious like this? Um, okay. Um, I think that it is uh, connected to the amount of things that you are being presented in when in childhood mm-hmm. and the options that you give your child. Mm. Like I was... Uh, a lot of time blamed that since my son was very young, um, I always gave him at least two mm. options. So he will choose and he will know that mm. there's not, no way, only one way. Mm. There's always at least two ways mm. and he can explore them and even more. And um, so I think it's it's the training of the more you're exposed to, the more options you have in any moment in your life, understanding that there's no only one path. So maybe the other one is more interesting or more fun or whatever, so you can explore more. And to count of them, to do decisions and sometimes also mistakes. Yeah. Like, like people are so afraid from being wrong So they close themselves in like there is only one, I don't know, highway mm-hmm. and we have to be on it unless we're going to miss something. Uh, and, and that's really, it's, you know, it's the dicta- dictator, I mm-hmm. think, way of thinking that you have only one fast way. This is like on that way you make people to s- slaves. And so it's the opposite of freedom mm-hmm. freedom is just exploring and suggesting options and let them choose and make you know a if mistake you know and and so so i think it's it's that, that the way you know <laughs> yeah i agree i do that also in 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 the way i direct mm-hmm. i give the actors normally There's a lot of freedom. Mm. They have the boundaries because mm-hmm. if you don't have boundaries, you're lost. They have boundaries and they have like a plan. But I really, um, <clears throat> I, I, I trust them. Mm. Uh, and I'm there, you know, to help. But I believe that if they will not um, develop their own instinct, and sometimes it's funny because we were just talking about it yesterday, So like one actress said to me, yeah, but this was my instinct. And I sometimes, you know, we are so used to do things that we think this is our instinct. So we need to sometimes just, you know, exercise being open and and really asking ourselves, is this is the real instinct? Because kids do have instincts, mm-hmm. but they lose it mm-hmm. during the years. Mm-hmm. And like, I think it's our responsibilities as parents and teachers is to keep that uh, um, intuition mm-hmm. to, to, to help them uh, to grow that intuition because that what actually will make them better artists and better people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
That is true. Yeah. <laughs> so I I leave a pause there because I think that's the perfect place to be. So mm -hmm. we're very grateful that you're here, Lila. Thanks for being an adventurer. I'm so happy and really grateful for inviting me. And I also said to the Israeli Institute that it is such an amazing experience. Um, and and I, f I do feel so lucky that um, everything that's happening here is, is just uh, uh, make my eyes shiner. Good. Yeah. Good. <laughs> All right. So thank you, David. You're welcome. So. You're welcome. Thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll be back next week with somebody else in the hot seat. Bye. Woman. Burning eyes, tangled up in morning white. Do you ever really know? Can you ever really know? Podcast at SDA is a production of the USC School of Dramatic Arts. Your host is the Dean of the School of Dramatic Arts, David Bridell. Podcast at SDA is recorded, edited, and mixed by the students and faculty of the BFA Sound Design Program. Join us in two weeks for our next episode of Podcast at SDA. Deep.